Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Tuesday. No victory Monday. I didn't play a game on Saturday. It's not even Monday, I guess. It's football and random things. What's up, Jeff Woody? Not much, man. We are, uh, what, five, five days out? Five days out from uh, the Fiesta Bowl with duck hunting in Phoenix. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yes, we are indeed five days out. If you count, well, four and a half. We're already halfway through Tuesday, so. Great. We're only four and a half days away. Can't wait. Can't wait. Channel my inner uh, Bart Scott. It's going to be a, going to be a fun one, but um, we're going to dive into the ducks here. Didn't talk to, too much about them last week when we were you know, really breaking down the, uh, the big 12 championship game. Did you have a good Christmas? Did you get anything good? How many pieces uh, of coal did Santa bring you? I got 600 pieces of coal enough to light a grill. No, um, Christmas was very good. Very pleasant. Um, real. Jesus. It's, uh, it's just a, a, a pit in the ground. Oh, okay. actually, it's just a hole that I just throw coal and light it on fire, put a spit over top of it, and roast anything that I've caught with my bare hands over top. That's what Fair my enough. that's my grill is. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Uh, no, but it was it was good. It was pleasant. Uh, didn't do much. Didn't really go anywhere. Still, just for the sake of precaution, uh, traveled down to Dallas and sort of kind of kicked it around the house. Still, just you know, to to quarantine for time to make sure that nothing is transmitted no one's got anything no one's carried any diseases anywhere so kicked it at home got presents out of the way early how was yours it was good man uh it was it was fun i got some shoes it's always good to get some shoes uh i did not get any coal thankfully i was glad to not receive any coal um all right so where should we start with this game coming up on uh on saturday um been a busy couple days for Brees hall lots of uh all-america team honors mike rose get some all america team honors jaquan bailey uh got and uh charlie kohler both got some yesterday as well uh it's been a, it's a good week to be a cyclone uh if if the first couple days are any indication well and, and what's cool is anytime that you get um you know when you when you are as not necessarily invested but very you know, invested, but, but very focused, like laser focused on a thing. Like most fans of any given team are, you just watch your team with a, a tremendous amount of detail. And then you watch other games sort of, you know, just generally like watching trends or like, you know, just flipping in and you're getting food at a sports bar or something like that. And you're just, you're not really paying attention. So it's really hard to, for you to have the same level of understanding about anyone else's team as you do your own. So when you see all American honors come in, then it validates that like, I, we all thought that Brees Hall was really good. And we all thought that Micro was really good. And the big 12 coming out and saying offensive defensive player of the year, respectively. Awesome. Great. That that's an acknowledgement from the conference, but even then getting all American honors from outside in, you know, the, the, in the nation. And that also then further validates the fact that like, okay, what we have been watching all year hasn't just been good for Iowa state standards or good for, um, the big 12 or good for, you know, some kid from Kansas. It's good for college football. It is, it is a Brees being it's Brees and Najee in every list so far. And having that be your top two running backs, one of them being Ames is it's really cool. So, and then the same thing with Mike Rose, um, has been second team on two different lists already that have come out. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see Iowa Staters get recognized for it. And I think going into the game on Saturday, there is, a there is, it's an interesting look on how you have to think about talent 
And what you have to consider going into the game, based on the All-American honors, but based on what Oregon has talent-wise, it's just a very interesting matchup, um, especially with having the beginning part of the week say, all right, All-American, All-American, and then All-American, All-American. I don't know, and, and I, this is just because I haven't checked, but I don't know if Oregon has any All-Americans. It's not to diss. I'm just saying I'm not 100% sure if they do. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau was a third-team AP All-American uh, with Jaquan. They were right next to each other on the uh, defensive ends there. That is, that's their, yeah, their defensive lineman. And for those, we're, we'll talk plenty about him because he is a, absolutely a threat you have to think about. Um, he's like Will McDonald, but bigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, the team talent thing is something, I, you kind of mentioned it there, has been a discussion, uh, a topic of discussion the last several days. I actually am going to have one of the guys from Duck Territory, the 247, uh, Oregon 247 site on the podcast uh, for either Wednesday or, or Thursday. So you guys can, can look forward to uh, that one. They're going to tell us more about, uh, about the Ducks and, um, and all that stuff. But uh, I think that when you just – you look at this Oregon roster – Obviously, the thing that jumps out to you is immediately is the the sheer amount of pure talent that they have. A guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, who's the number one recruit in California, a couple of years ago, I think he was one of the top five players in the country. Um, it was a major recruiting win for Mario Cristobal and his staff to uh, be able to get a guy like that. And you know that's that's a representation of like their entire roster they have a bunch of guys that are like that that have been really high level recruits that have come in and made immediate impacts um for this program they also have some guys who are really talented who have opted out though that are not playing you know Panay Sewell is one that is uh that you can mention specifically who won the Outland Trophy last year uh was might have even gotten some votes for the Heisman Trophy uh, as an offensive lineman. He's a, he's the best offensive lineman in the country. He's not playing um, for the for the Ducks, and you know it's brother. just what. What'd you his say? little brother. Yeah, yeah. He, they've got his little brother it's Noah Sewell, who was a linebacker. Was I think he was the number four recruit in the country in the last class, true freshman. He got injured in the game against USC. I think I don't know what his status is. I'm not sure that uh, I haven't heard anything about that here the last couple of days. But um, that's it. What jumps out is just one the pure talent that they've got. Guys that on paper are really talented, and then two just the pure speed that they've got up and down the roster. So I haven't. I haven't watched Oregon. Like I don't have time to watch like 13 straight hours of full games. Um, but what I have watched the, like the abridged version of where he kind of just like takes out the middle filler space. You can find those on YouTube. And the thing that you can say about Oregon, you know, take the recruiting stars, which is they're, they're there. That means physical talent that they're talented, a talented team. They are all over the place in both the good and bad sense. So that Oregon is, a phenomenally fast team. They, I mean, they have guys, I think the fastest dude that I've seen not in number three for Iowa state, the fastest dude that I've seen on in a game is one of is I think number two, the cornerback for uh, Oregon. He was one of their, I think his first team all big or all pack 12 guy. Um, I, I think it's Demondre Lenore is his name. They got speed everywhere and they can absolutely fly everywhere. So you're going to see, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not likely that Iowa state is going to be able to rip off, um, you know, uh, a, a dink, kind of a dink and dunk and just take it 70 yards unless Oregon is completely out of position. Like you're not, you're not just going to be like, you know, like you'd, uh, everyone like Xavier Hutchinson every once in a while would like catch a pass and then 
you know, haul it down the field. Like that might happen, but it's probably not going to be a thing where you're just going to foot race somebody. But the other thing about quote all over the place is they're really inconsistent. And so sometimes they're really, really good. Like, uh, granted, USC is not, they're not the, the what, 2003 Steelers when they're, you know, with Jerome Bettis and, you know, or whatever, whatever year it was. Like, they're not that kind of pounded running game. In, in fact, I think they only have, like, what, you said, what, 550 or something like that total rushing yards in, on the season, USC does. Um, but in the Pac-12 title game, they only allowed 28 rushing yards, Oregon did. And in the game before that, which was Cal, it was a, Oregon ended up losing, but it was, they only gave up like 47 rushing yards or something like that. And it was like 1.9 a carry. So in the last two games, they've been really, really good against a run. However, the teams they've been playing are not that good running the ball. And then the two games before that, they gave up more than 265 yards rushing. So depending on what team you're looking at, and so the Oregon State game, they gave up, which is the, uh, the first team all pack 12 running back at Oregon or at Oregon state Jamar like Jefferson. 850 yards. Yeah. Jamar, Jamar Jefferson. Jefferson had like what 800 and something yards in six games, something like that uh, had 225 against Oregon's defense. And though they weren't like, you know, like Bree, like uh, like Brees did against Oklahoma State, where it was two big runs for like 150 yards, and the rest came in little chunks. It was like consistently like clockwork. There was just no one there all the way down the field. So they've been really good and they've been really bad, and it's really hard to tell what you're going to get just because they're talented. They fly all over the place, but they're a lot of times out of position. So that's what's really interesting because if you get enough of those, you know, popcorns of like you're in a good place, 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 you're in a good place. Then you get the end of the game with 28 yards rushing. If you're in that popcorn and you miss one or two, then you give up 250 yards rushing. So who knows what you're going to get, but I don't think they've seen a running back or a running offense like Iowa state's going to bring since the Oregon state game, which is like I said, when they gave up like 265 yards rushing. And what do you think that, what do you attribute that to? Do you think that some of it is guys that are uber talented that maybe just think that they can go out and just do their own thing and they're going to be able to stop people? Or do you think, and then they've maybe gelled more as the season has, has gone along? Or do you think it's uh, that those other teams just were able to kind of impose their will? I mean, what, from what, what, are, what do you see? Well, I think the impose their will thing is not necessarily true with Oregon because their talent is really good, especially in the defensive line and linebackers. They're really strong in the front seven uh, as far as like physical strength. Like they're very physically talented players in the defensive front seven uh, for Oregon. But the problem is, is you can get them running because they are so fast. Like one of the things, the thing that Oregon State did really, really well against Oregon, which is a thing that Iowa State does, is you don't necessarily go straight down at them. Is you kind of take like the, the the Los Angeles Rams like stretch game of trying to get them moving sideways, and then let them run themselves out of the play because they all of them are so amped up to do the thing that they want to do. They're they're gunning for it. Where you can run somebody run somebody by the play, and all of a sudden pop it loose. If you have the the right running back who can press it at the right time, then you get somebody even just a little bit out of position because they're a little too gung ho, they're a little too fast, they're a little bit too much, you know, whatever. You can end up zipping one right through. And I, I think there was four different runs of more than thirty yards by Oregon State 
just on stretch run plays alone, just because they or they just got themselves out of position. So yes, they could be gelling, and and it's hard to tell in the last two games with Cal and USC. Yes, they could be gelling, and you know that's that's the reason why they've been so good against stopping the run. But they've also could just be run into two teams that didn't want to run very well or aren't very good at doing things that Oregon's bad at, which is that kind of getting them moving sideways and making sure they stay with run integrity as you run sideways. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to pin down because the other thing that's uh, the other thing about um, kind of, you know, breaking down an opposing team is you only have six games. So there, there is a sample size, obviously, you know, it's, it's more than half a season for what Iowa state has, but it's still only about half a season for what Iowa state has. So it'd be sort of like taking Iowa state at what was their sixth game of the year, Oklahoma state or, or uh, let's call it Oklahoma state. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Let's call be close. State. Like taking the, at the end of the Oklahoma state game being like, all right, this is the team. Like, well, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Or, or would have been the week after. So whoever the week after Oklahoma state was Kansas, um, so you're like, all right, this is the team. This is all you got. And you're like, well, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of understand what's going on. Brees Hall is really good. Uh, the defense tends to stop the run really well. Uh, Kanae's really good at returning kicks, but Brock's kind of inconsistent. Um, they, you know, there's, there's not a lot of consistency in the offensive line play and the pass protection, whatever. So that'd be what you're making your determination on in six games. So it, it's just hard to say, like it, you, it's not in a normal year where you have 12 games where you can say like, Oh, they're settling in because maybe these last two games are more aberrational and they are just not a very good defense. Who knows? That's the, that's the interesting part about this is it's been so up and down. It's hard to even predict what you're going to see. Yeah. And I think that that's where I look at it and think um, I would say it's tight ends. I mean, they always play a big role, but when you describe that needing to stretch, you know, kind of stretching it out and, and keep forcing Oregon to keep their run integrity and things like that. And that's where I see that group really coming into play. And especially with the fact that they have not played anyone remotely close to what Iowa state can do with their tight ends. I mean, there, there's just uh, no, not many teams in the country are capable of doing that. But, and they've even said that. I think Kayvon said that this morning in his, uh, in his media availability, where it's just like you, don't, you just don't see teams that, that play this way. And it's, uh, it, it's difficult to prepare for when you don't have any, you know, when you ha- don't have a ton of uh, past experience with it. And I feel like, that's where Iowa State's going to have one of their major advantages is you can is, is them trying having the ability to maybe neutralize some of those guys with the guys that they can send as extra blockers as tight ends because then you also put them in bad positions where uh, if they so focus on them as blockers then you know all of a sudden it opens it up for all of them in the pass game as well and you get another week for Dylan Sainer to get healthy you know and if all those guys are fresh like they it, this feels like one where they have a major mismatch at that position in my mind yeah well i think that the two biggest advantages that iowa state has um because size size is one thing that like or iowa state is a big team like they are big humans Oregon is also big humans. So it's not really, you don't have a size advantage. You, you, it's, not a, it's not a disadvantage, it's just not an advantage. But where Iowa State has their greatest advantages are in scheme. 
because nobody does the thing like you mentioned no one has three tight ends but no one does the things that iowa state does on both offense and defense and in practicing against it it is different than playing against it it's different in understanding where you need to line up when there are two tight ends to your side with one being down one being off and then they motion another one in who then is a fullback on the other side. So you have three tight ends in the game, two of which are on the call it the left side, one of which is on the right side, one is on the line of scrimmage, two are off the line of scrimmage, you have a running back, and then your receivers are outside. So it's not that is innately a hard thing to do, like the, a hard thing to understand, like where do you line up and where's your run fit? But it's essential that you have that not like locked down. And where it becomes difficult is then when Iowa State trades one of those guys and brings that fullback on back to the other side. So now it's three on one side and one on the other side, or one running back on the other side. Now you've got a different strength setup, and everyone has to understand exactly where their run fits are. And if you don't know exactly where your run fits are, Brees is going to find where you missed. So the difficulty that Iowa State has, or the difficulty that Iowa State presents on offense with their three tight ends. Yes, it's nice to have dudes just be able to big humans that you can just push people around. Having six six tight ends rather than wide receivers in the run game means you can just Chase Allen is better in the run game than Tariq Milton. It just it, he just is because he's bigger. But where it's where it's most pronounced is in presenting looks and then changing where those looks are because most teams to get a little more little super dorky most teams are going to set their strength off a tight end and they're going to set their strength off of formations so by strength you'll you'll hear um you know, the terms over front or under front, or you'll hear, hear strong side linebacker, weak side linebacker, Sam and Will. You hear strong side defenseman or whatever. Like you, whatever identity you have on a strength, it means defenses don't know exactly what, what they're going to see. Like when they get, when a defense gets a play call in, it's first and 10, they have no concept of what the offense is going to be other than the fact that they have a personnel in there. Like they'll see, you can see like, all right, they have, one tight end and three run or wide receivers and a running back. So that's 11 personnel. Got it. Understand. Other than that, they don't know anything what's going on. So a defensive play call just comes with a set of rules that you'd really just start by of saying, okay, when we call, you know, two man under Robert or something like that, like that's the call that you get run underneath. So when two men under Robert, let's say that's a, an actual play call. I'm, I'm sure it is somewhere, but and I don't, I don't know if it is for Iowa State. So go get two men under Robert. What the, all the defensive guys need to know is set the strength to the tight end. So on the strong side, the defensive end lines up outside the tackle. The nose tackle to his side lines up outside the guard. Then on the back side, which is now the weak side, the defensive end is on the center, not the guard. And the tackle or defensive end is now uh, closer to the body of the offensive tackle. So you have a very different front when the strength is to the left. Now, if, if a team were to just trade and switch their tight end to the other side, then that makes the, now the, the strength is the other side. So everyone has to bump over, but understanding where your strengths are and what that means to you is imperative of the play call. What Iowa state does that screws with that is most teams, again, like, like I mentioned before, most teams will key that on a tight end and say strong left because the tight end is left strong, right? Because the tight end is right. Well, what happens when there's two out there? Uh, let's call strong left. If they're split, and 
strong right if they're both to the right. And there's just conditional rules that under that come with it. Now, when there's three, where do you set it? Well, okay. There's a uh, strong left. If there's more than two tight ends over here and now the rules start getting more complex. And then Iowa state always, not always very often will trade and motion their tight ends. So you got to know your rules with three tight ends, which is something you normally don't see. And you have to be able to apply them like that. And you have to go, okay, they have no tight ends in the formation because they're all split out as wide receivers. And then number 11 comes in as an attached tight end. And then number 88 comes in and forms a wing on his side. And then number 89 motions in is now a fullback. And it's a completely different formation. And you're going to get about 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, set, go. Okay, you have that much time to determine to, for all 11 guys to understand exactly where they have to be on any given play. And that's the hard part. That's the hard part, because if you're not all 100%, like let's say you you come out and Iowa State, you, you, you understand the rules right away from what Iowa State's laying out and you called strong left. And then they motion a tight end and then they motion a wide receiver. And now you and six other guys think it's still strong left, but because of the formation, five other guys think it's strong right. Now you have a misalignment and Brees Hall is gonna find where that misalignment exists. So the difficulty that Iowa State presents with their three tight ends is partially just because of large human mass, but it's also partially because teams can't set their strength normally like they do unless you have 11 guys that are on the ball. And if you have 11 guys that are on the ball 100%, awesome, then Iowa State doesn't have that much of an advantage. But when you have guys that even are just, not I don't want to say slow because it's a hard thing to process, are just not 100% on the same page, they don't see the same thing, then you have missed assignments, you have missed gaps, and then Brees Hall finds a 75-yard run. Like that's where it starts becoming really, really, uh, for Iowa State, a big advantage and for Oregon, a big disadvantage. Yeah, and I guess the thing that concerns me is, and this is no different than any time for Iowa State, is, is being successful on first and second down to where then you're not put yourself, putting yourself in positions where the guys like Kayvon Thibodeau can pin their ears back and come at you hard on third down. Because mm-hmm. I'll just be frank, Sean Foster one-on-one with that guy, probably not a battle Iowa State's going to win very often. <laughs> Yeah. From, from what I've seen of him, uh, in his career. Well, and he's an, he's an all American. He's a five-star recruit. He's, he yeah. is the, you know, the best defensive end in, in high school coming into college. And he's lived up to most of that so far. He's 20 year old kid. He's a stud. Um, but yeah, I think the, it also, the first and second down thing of being successful on the first and second down, um, it comes with the territory of being able to move around, like being able to, to move, their tight ends and positions that tight ends and their offensive pieces generally, because they'll also motion Sean Shaw. They'll also motion Landon Akers and Tariq Milton. They'll move these guys around to positions that set up different alignments that are beneficial to Iowa state. So yeah, they need to be successful in first and second down, but I think a lot of it's going to come with does Oregon understand their defensive rules? Like, are they comfortable with different formations, different setups, do they understand what their defensive philosophy is? If they don't, it is going to be really hard to stop Iowa State on any down because you don't know where you're going. If they are, then that's when it starts to become one of those things. Like if if Oregon minds their P's and Q's and they understand their rules, then that's where it starts becoming like, okay, now physically you have to just, 
you know, beat a guy in a block, or you have to, to climb up to a linebacker and hold off a, you know, whatever, like you have to do those things really, really well. But I think the mental part of it is, uh, is going to be, I just don't, I don't see how a team who's never played Iowa state before can have, let's call it 18 guys that end up playing on defense that have 18 guys that all understand 100% of the time what to do against a front that they've never seen. I don't think that's going to, that, that that's a thing that can happen. I mean, what the first time that Iowa state plays basically any team with this other than Louisiana, which was, I don't know, again, just toss that out because it was first game. Everything was wrong with that one. But other than that very first game, no team for the first time that's seen these three tight ends at the same time, this, this offensive unit has really been able to get everyone fit in the right way. So that's my, I think that the, that is, that's going to prove a big difference in the game versus just being able to execute is understanding. So here's my question. Yeah. I assume you mean just this year because obviously Notre Dame did pretty well with it a year ago. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, this, 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 well, that was Sam Seenbuckner was the fullback. Last year? No, Sainer played that F back, that F spot last year. Mm, sort of. Yeah. Seenbuckner graduated two years ago. He left oh, with David. Yeah. Okay. That was the Washington State year. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, that's true. So of, I was thinking of this season, but yeah, that's true. The Notre Dame has. Also but note that those guys are a different breed. <laughs> and I think Notre Iowa Dame. State's a lot better than they were at that t- at this time a year ago. And, and I don't Oregon's Notre Dame. I mean, there's a reason why Notre Dame's in the playoff right now. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Those guys are a different breed. I mean, Chuck Lee might be the best, best even coordinator in the country. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean – I feel good about what Iowa State's going to be able to do. I, I think when you look at what Oregon's, Oregon has done, what their body of work is throughout the season, it's like it. I feel like there's some things that Iowa State will be able to exploit, uh, but it's just, you know, you're kind of working under an assumption that it's going to be the first group of like the first Oregon team or somewhere in between the Oregon team that you saw against Oregon state and not the exact version that you saw against USC that maybe shows up, I guess is what I mean to say defensively. Right. Well, you're also, I mean, again, just the up and down, this is like a natural transition point to talk about the Oregon offense and what you're getting in. Um, It's been such a, a direct inverse path. Like, the offense has been cratering from the start of the season where they're averaging like 480, 500 yards a game. They're, they're successfully moving the ball up and down the field towards the end of the season where I think they were six yards, like 350 total yards in a game. Granted it was rainy, but like 350 yards in a game and a 250 yards in a game. I think they averaged like seven penalties a game during that time. There was averaging giving a ball away about two times a game. Like, from the start of the season to the end of the season, the offense has gotten consistently worse over the game, over that that time. And the defense has gotten consistently better. And so you could get good Oregon defense plus good Oregon offense. And that's going to be a really hard team to beat. You could also get bad Oregon defense and bad Oregon offense. And that game's a landslide, or you get a combination of both. And you're not really sure what you're going to get just because they played good and bad in both in multiple games this season. So yes, you're not sure which one you're going to get. 
and you're not sure which defense you're going to get, but you're also not sure which offense you're going to get. And if it's anything, if Oregon plays the same way they did against USC, like the exact same way against USC, they don't score near enough points to win the game. Even though that defense would be playing lights out, their offense wouldn't score near enough points against this Iowa State defense to win the game. But if they play, if their offense plays not that bad, or not as bad as they did against USC, then sure, they could be, they could end up being fine. So it, I don't know, it's, it's the overarching theme is it's really hard to pin down what you're going to get against Oregon because they have six games and they've been up and down both sides of the ball at different times during the year. Yeah, and I think the thing that is reassuring to me is that we know, you know for the most part what you're going to get from Iowa State on both sides of the ball. We have rarely seen them come out and just play horrendously, you know, on offense or defense to where even if they're not having a good day, a good day is like, or a a not very good day is like a C for the most part. And that's what I think gives me some comfort with this matchup. And is is it's just like, I feel like we know what Iowa state's going to come out and do how well they do it. You know, we'll see, but like, they're not going to come out and like put themselves in a position to probably get blown out. You know, right. whereas I, I think that Oregon, because of the volatility of what their team has been this year, and that's where I just, I, I don't know. You, I've heard some people talk about this game, and it's like they act like this is going to be this blowout. And I'm like, man, I don't know how you can look at what Oregon's done this season and feel like they're going to blow anybody out right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's going to be really hard. Um, it, it's it, it's going to be really hard to just pin down. Like, I wouldn't touch this game betting-wise with anything just because you don't know Whoops. what you're going to get with Oregon. Whoops. What? Whoops. You wouldn't, wouldn't touch this game betting wise. Whoops. It's uh, too late for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course you took the ducks. Of course. Renato um, duck lover, Jared Stansberry. Yeah. But uh, no, the, the, the only things that, like you mentioned with, uh, I think volatility is a good word with Oregon. Um, but the other thing mentioning, so like with scheme, so the three tight ends on offense are, are, is something that mentally Oregon is going to have to understand. They are going to have to know their rules, mind their P's and Q's, and understand exactly what each one thing means. Otherwise, they're going to be in all kinds of bad sorts. Defensively, this is also a look that they've not seen like it, practicing against this is going to be like, Ugh. okay, when we do see three deep coverage and we see a corner blitz here, how are we going to protect this? Or when we do see, um, you know, when it looks like we have a potential route that's going to cut behind a middle linebacker, is that actually going to be open? You can't see what it's going to see or what it's going to feel like because you've never run against this rush three, drop a primary defense that Iowa State runs. It's a scheme that is understandably really difficult to run. We talked about it in the Kansas State week where you have a really young quarterback. And granted, this uh, the quarterback for Oregon is not young, but he is very inconsistent. So you have a... You have a, in, in the can taking the Kansas state game, for example, we talked about it with, because their COVID numbers were preventing them from being able to um, like form a legitimate practice squad. They couldn't run routes against a defense because they had like a walk on equipment manager serving as the corner because of uh, just total lack of numbers. And the thing that we said is like, that could put represent a really big problem because you need to be able to see what that looks like in action in practice reps 
really, really a ton in order to get really comfortable with what you're going to see because it is so different. Well, Oregon's never seen this before and you can, you can sort of simulate it a little bit in what you're going to do. Like again, in practice with a, a walk-ons, linebackers or whatever, but it's not the same when you, when you're actually running it in person. So Oregon having never seen this or really having not played against a team that runs this style defense, which the only, the only teams that I would say run the same style defense would be like Baylor, Iowa state and like Clemson would really be the only schools that run a similar style defense. And they've not played any of those teams. So they've not even had the tangential experience of understanding what this three, eight kind of looks like. So I think schematically where I have my greatest degree of confidence is, you know, what Iowa State's going to bring and you know, the mental difficulty that it presents. So it at least has a possibility, if not a probability of causing significant problems with Oregon, just mentally understanding what this challenging look is that is foreign to what you've ever practiced or played against. And how, I mean, how difficult even is it, it would it be as a player to, if you're on that scout team to like accurately represent what you're even trying to simulate? Because it is so unorthodox that I feel like, you know, all of a sudden as a player, it's like, okay, you have to learn this in three days and then you got to simulate it for your team. Well, and you got to, I mean, you're running it on cards. Like a scout team is like, all right, do this. Yeah. Okay. Johnny, you're the middle linebacker. Do this. Got it. So yeah, it is. They basically different. got Jeff Woody out there trying to be Mike Rose. Hey man, I'm a uh, 60%. Welcome 60%. to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> Hey, 2008 highlights, man. 2008 highlights. Um, but yeah, you're not going to be able to get an accurate look, but where the, where the issue is understanding the difference between scout team and full go is that's kind of implicit. Like you understand yeah. that it's not going to be as open as where it's going to be, but you can at least see angles and stuff where you're like, Oh, this is what, when we're in this front, we're in this look. Cause I think the, the difficulty is with Iowa state's defense that you, you can't simulate in, um, you can't simulate in practice because of scout look, but you also can't simulate with um, like e even at full speed with your defense because against Iowa State's defense, it looks like there is a lot of space available to run outside the tackles, right? Like it always, it, it look, when you look at it just physically, like there's a bunch of grass without human beings in it. We should be able to get there. And then all of a sudden the snap happens and that space fills up so fast that it's not really going to be there. Like you're not going to be able to see the, th you're not gonna be able to get to the thing that you thought you're going to get to because no walk-ons are going to understand how to fill that quickly. No defense is going to be running going to be comfortable being in that position to understand where they're like when to get there. So that's the difficulty is that it, what looks open isn't. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I even answered the question that you asked, but it's hard to, it is really hard to simulate this defense because the space that looks like it should be there never is, even if you run it the right way. And that, I mean, that's even multiplied by the fact that their quarterback, you know, Oregon people are describing it as a lack of confidence. I mean, he has been exponentially different from what you, you mentioned it. Like the offense was a lot better early in the season. He was a lot better early in the season. He's not been very good the last few weeks. And, if you've got a guy who's not too overly confident in what he's doing right now, I don't know that this is a scheme that you want to be going up against where it's like, you're not exactly sure what you're seeing every time that the ball is snapped. Yeah. In the last two games, 
completing passes at 55% for a grand total of 169 and a half yards per game for the Oregon passing offense. That is not playing the one of the best defenses in the Big 12, which is actually a defensive conference now. And you, yeah, you're coming into this with shaky confidence, not really sure where you're going to go against the thing you've never seen. So yeah, knowing that Iowa State's going to bring this defense and knowing Iowa State's going to bring their three tight ends says, all right, Oregon, you may have a ton of talent and you, you do like that. You do have a ton of talent, but does your talent understand the, the puzzle being set in front of you? And if you don't understand the puzzle being set in front of you, it's not a thing you want to try and figure out for the very first time game time. Can you put, play the professor's gambit? That's what it, that's what it comes down to. Are you able to foil the professor's gambit? Uh, all right, buddy. Uh, you got any final thoughts you want to throw out there before uh, we sign off? No final thoughts, but uh, I don't know, everyone, stay safe in the snow. Stay safe in the, uh, the Rhone diseases, the other influenza diseases of the, of, the, of the season. Enjoy the game, and Happy New Year. Here's a prop bet for you, Jeff Woody. Which number is higher on Saturday? Brees Hall rushing yards or Baylor's final point total against Iowa State basketball? Oh, God. I'm going to go with Brees Hall rushing yards because I don't think Baylor's going to drop 150 on Iowa State. But Ooh, okay. Jeff, what are you calling a shot here? You're calling a shot, 150, 150 yards for Brees Hall. Hey, man. I, 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 I said it. I think the tight ends are going to cause uh, – the tight ends fronts are going to cause problems for the Oregon defense. Just saying it. All right. Sounds good, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk to everybody again soon. We'll have a podcast for you uh, again on, uh, on Monday, recapping the Fiesta Bowl. And uh, like Jeff said, everybody stay safe. Have a happy new year, and we'll talk to you again soon. Peace.